time in a country where there are people sitting, uh, living on the street downstairs of the big, you know, apartment block that I live in, and they're the happiest people I see every single day. And a lot of people who are earning lots of money and living in these big jobs that we had were quite stressed and miserable. And um, so I guess that was a real turning point. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with property investor Julian Kersagara. After trying his hand in the tourism and accounting industries, he realized his calling was in property. We hear about the perceptions people have of buyers agents in the digital age and how he found himself driving past one of his properties and considering rolling out the red carpet. Kusagara shares some of the lessons he's learned over the years and reveals the turning point in his life and career he came across whilst working in India. Unfortunately, we haven't lost our shirt over anything but you know, you learn through these and again, as much as I think I mentioned about trust and you know, something my wife and I are big on and you get to trust people or you get to know them and uh, unfortunately, there's we, you know, I guess the buzzword in our industry is spruikers and they're out there and uh, they put on a really good tap dance and uh, you, a lot of people get sucked in. I just heard a story yesterday, another guy, you know, bought two, two properties of someone and what they tend to do is sell their own developments and uh, but also uh, Moonlight as a property strategist and obviously the strategy is to send their own, sell their own developments which then uh, unfortunately doesn't always work out for the buyer. But my, I guess the story probably comes to mind would be that I came, my wife and I were uh, fortunate enough through that marketing company we worked for to uh, be selected to go and um, set up a business in India. So sort of going back in time, went back to uh, India um, and lived in Bombay, Mumbai for uh, three and a half years, which is you know, a turning point in our life as careers, but also personal lives, just uh, you know, teaching us a lot about ourselves. And again, going back to that word about charity and be grateful for what we have. Um, so that was a great time for us. With great success, Kusagara shares with us the next stage in their property journey and what happens next. Um, came back and obviously did quite well. The company supported us very well. Um, our house, our home that I live in here was rented out for all that time. Um, we were um, well paid. We had all our accommodation. We had drivers. We had all the things that you, you get when you're an expat overseas in Asia. And so, yeah, we came back and, and had done quite well out of that uh, that top period away from, from Australia. And so then we thought, okay, well, let's... Um, Let's go back into the property game, and we like the property game. Uh, reason being is, let's go. Uh, not a property story, but we got burnt like millions of others in two thousand and eight by the, the, the beautiful acronym of GFC, and and again that was our classical, you know, let's put lots of money into the share market and let's leverage that with some margin funding and. We put dump in all this money and say, okay, we're going to head head to India now and make some more money and you know get caught up in all that uh, things that aren't really that important to to, to life. But uh, we we did caught, you know admittedly get caught up in that uh, that world of uh, you know reaching a certain level in our careers where we started really doing well um, and lost all that money in the you know I remember getting to India and within a couple of weeks we had a letter from the bank saying uh, we're calling back that margin loan a bit, but. We just we just paid for it. Yeah, unfortunately, it crashed, and with a property trust, and it crashed. And uh, but you know that wasn't exclusive to us, was it? It wasn't that it was a bad investment because that was wiped out the whole of uh, the financial world, basically. So 
yeah, so we didn't really invest over that period. We, you know, we just consolidated what we did in India, savings, everything else, sent money back home every every month, and then said, okay, back into property. Got got caught up with a, a company, um, um, and you know, gave us the classical dream about retiring and and become rich and all these type of things. So we we were busy professionals, right? We didn't really have time to to go around looking at houses and and trying to select them. So I'm and we were consultants, so we're very very um, um, used to paying a consultant for their expertise because companies paid the businesses we worked in a lot of money for our expertise in loyalty and marketing and things like that. So, yeah, so it made sense to use a buyer's agent to find property for us. Um, you know, still something that wasn't used by everyone, but it made total sense for us. So we went deep, went fast. We said, yep, we bought four, we had four, five properties in one year. In this short space of time, purchasing five properties with a buyer's agent, Kusagara discovered a big lesson that he is reminded of every day. We were very attractive to the banks, high income earners, very big um, um, equity in our home um, because we were able to build a lot of equity. Oh, there's a bit of growth over that period while we were away. After the GFC, the prices went up a little bit in uh, property. So, you know, we had all the, all ticked all the boxes for the banks and um, went fast and went hard and bought properties. And a lot of them were house and land packages. Um, a couple were regional, but most of them were uh, Brisbane and, yeah, mainly Brisbane at that time. And, you know, so now again, time heals all wounds. They're okay. But back then, I didn't realise that whole area is highly commission geared, um, how that all works. And now I understand because I'm in it. And so we keep right away from it. But, you know, it, it was a learning. So the learning there would be that we wouldn't trust someone so implicitly without doing some research ourselves. Um, maybe take a deep breath. So a lot of times for our clients, we say, hey, let's just take our time, one at a time. You know, we have we have three pillars, which is low risk, positive cash flow and potential for growth. And so to us, low risk is important. So when someone came to us the other day, said, let's go, let's buy two. We're like, no, 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 we're going to buy one at a time. And we get that right. And then, but, but I've got the equity, I've got the money. I said, that's okay. There's no rush. Or, you know, one client, especially during COVID period last year was uh, my job's a little bit shaky. I said, okay, we're not buying. But what do you mean? I've got the I've got the approval. I said, no, we're going to wait. And, you know, I think people get shocked that we do that, but that's just the way Luke and I like to work. And, you know, we really do want to do the best for our clients and best for them individually. And uh, yes, we could easily have taken that money and bought some property and made some cash, but um, we know long-term it's going, to, it's going to be in our benefit. And we're seeing that now that business is really doing well. He reveals the moment it all clicked into place for him and what made him realize property was his future. Quite often I'll say it's not only a game of property. It's not about finding, you know, a lot of guys come to us or, or couples and we want a unicorn. It's like, well, you know, if they existed, we'd all have one, right? So, uh, um, you know, we have to try to take that seriously but also, ta- you know, dampen a little bit their enthusiasm that unicorns don't exist and um, we will definitely find you a very good property deal and we'll show you that through our data-led research but um, that's something we have to uh, focus on. So leveraging the bank, it's a game of finance, not really a game of property. So if when the banks, like now, are giving us uh, good leverage to, to, to borrow, the capacities they're borrowing, yes, they're still a bit tight. They're, you know, back in the day when I said I bought five properties, there's no way I could do that today. I, to be honest, I don't recall even signing too many loan documents, but we got five loans somehow. So uh, you know, I won't spread that gospel too high, but I think we all know what happened because the Royal Commission outed all that out and um, and unfortunately, you know, that's, that's, 
that happens in all industries and it'll probably still happen in banks because no one really got in trouble for it, right? So, um, so yeah, when the banks are offering us money, particularly at this rate, um, and we're seeing it in the markets getting a bit hot now, um, it's not a bad time to invest your money because you leave it in the bank at 1%. Well, uh, you, you know, put charges on top of that. The bank charge you for holding your money. The next thing you know, you don't have a lot to show for it. So I think leverage is important. And, and it doesn't matter if it's shares or property or whatever you decide to move into, but leveraging is, is important. So I think the hard moment would be leveraging. So when the banks are offering money and we're in the right position to take money. So right now I'm not because we're in a new business. So you need to have a few years of, um, of um, returns, as you know. Um, although in then saying that we've got very, very strong equity positioning and I've also got a wife, you know, in a very good corporate job. So we probably wouldn't have an issue if that was the case. Um, the other thing is, I guess it's that whole positive cash flow and looking at areas for growth. So if you're finding the right areas for growth, um, doing your research on the, on the, um, on the metrics that bring growth. So jobs. And it's just, there's not one or two factors. It's an overlay of all these extra different data from ABS to jobs, to infrastructure, to investment, to migration, to domestic migration, like what's happening in Brisbane, the Sunshine Coast went through the roof, not because of international migration, because of the migration that's coming out of Victoria predominantly. So, you know, a lot of that, you just got to overlay that data and overlay that data and use that. It's not, it's not, 100% correct. No one can ever, well, a lot of people unfortunately do say, guarantee you growth, but no one can guarantee growth because um, anyone who said that didn't didn't predict COVID, right, last year. So I think that's the best, most recent um, um, event that we can point to and say, hey, be careful what you believe because you know, no one predicted what happened last year. So I think, yeah, just that overlay of data. Um, so for me, it would be leveraging the bank, understanding the research that you like you said like you can do now it's online a lot of it's free we pay a lot of money for subscriptions to um, very detailed data but you don't not everyone needs to do that you can you can really do it do it yourself and at least get a very good idea and be educated on on things that particularly unadulterated or um, unbiased data right where it's not someone trying to push you towards a particular area or a particular product, if something's just a pure data source not overlaying by come and invest in Queensland or come and invest in New South Wales, um, I think those data can be taken as, as you know, very good influences towards um, towards a property purchase. And the third one would be, the aha moment would be to manufacture growth. So that could be through Granny Flat, that could be through minor minor renovation. I'm not into big renovations. I'm not in, I'm not into developments and things like that at this stage. I mean, I've I've uh, like I said, bought land and, and build properties, but I haven't developed townhouses and apartments and things like that. And maybe I'll do it in the future. I know Luke's very heavily involved in a couple of development groups, so we'll probably you know tick tack and learn from each other on that somehow, and we'll probably do something in the future together. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, for me, it was more about uh, understanding those metrics and. Um, using that to help us, um, you know, grow grow for ourselves and also, more importantly, put together an individual strategy for each of our clients. I love what you've said about that. You know, those, those three key points are very important. And I mean, I might just add to it is, you know, because there's so many great people out there like yourself, you know, tap into that resource as well because you combine all that. I think you'll be very well armed in looking at getting investments, especially if you're doing it for a long-term build. I think it's, it's not rocket science. You know, we try to keep it simple and we do a lot of mentoring. I've got a couple of young clients coming through at the moment who, uh, you know, their first property and, I, and we love that. And I, Luke and I love that these teenage boys, 19, 20-year-olds uh, finish up their apprenticeships and want to get into property 
And we're like, yeah, well, let us help you get your first one, but we're going to educate you through the process. We're going to document it for you. We're going to mentor you through. You know, Luke's got a, a training and, and, and um, qualifications in, in training and mentorship, and we've designed a course around it. Um, as you remember from the beginning of this conversation, the first business he set up was called First Time Property Investing. But what that what that business didn't have at the end was everyone, once he went through the course with them, they said, okay, I need to buy a property now. Can you help me? And so that's when he probably went, ah, the aha moment is I need to also buy them a property as well, not just uh, help them educate them because he thought once they're educated, they go and buy it themselves. But people still are busy. They don't have time. And so when people said, you know, uh, a client yesterday, a uh, very busy um, with the technology sector earns very good money. It's going to probably spend close to a million dollars on a property, but can you help me renovate that? Do the pest and building? Can you get a decking put in there? Can you rip the carpets up? And so we don't, we're not carpenters or experts in that, but we have connections. We have teams of people who will manage that for them and get that done for them. So now they don't have time to go up to Brisbane every weekend and, and pay to rip carpets up. So it just doesn't make sense. So, um, we know we can give them be that one-stop shop for a lot of busy people. Coming up after the break, we hear his thoughts on buying property in the COVID era. And I had a good example of someone last year who, you know, the headline, what were the headlines last year? 30% property crash. Don't buy property. It's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be, so everyone panicked and said, I'm not going to buy property. So fair enough. And I, no one could, no one knew how bad COVID was going to get. And I accepted that. We learn about how your mindset changes as you age. We buy um, based on what we think and feel through research is a good long-term strategy. So if someone comes to us, they want to retire in five years, it's a very different mindset strategy to someone who's, who's uh, the current current client I've got who is um, in their 30s. We hear about what his early love of reading taught him about property and about himself. You know, I've got a bookshelf here full of uh, property books and just reading, reading, reading with a long-term view. I always I always knew or felt deep, deep down that it was going to be my future. Um, I just didn't know when. And that's up next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1 to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Kersagara lets us in on why using a buyer's agent may cost you upfront but can save you money and stress in the long run. And I guess that buyer's agent uh, sector is still, people are still grappling with that. Why would I pay someone to buy me a property to do it myself? And yet if they make a mistake, you know, to spend $10,000, $15,000 on a buyer's agent, for example, which I think is pretty much the range, then it's a pretty small it's a pretty small fee for the amount of work that someone's going to do and, um, and help you go on that right path. Um, because in, you know, so the other people don't, so they they would pay a selling agent, which is what a real estate agent is. So in the US and uh, Europe, a real estate agent is called a selling agent because they're selling the property for you. They're not working for you, the buyer. Their job is to get the highest price for the vendor. 
not to get you the best price, right? So a lot of people will go to the agent and try to get information. And, but, you know, technically the agent should be working for who's paying him, which is he's, you know, earning 2% or whatever it might be from the seller. And so a buyer's agent in the US, for example, is very common. I mean, you have your, every time at an auction or any negotiation, the selling agent and the buyer's agent come together and they buy on behalf of us. It's a very mature market. So in Australia, you know, hopefully there'll be some regulation brought into the sector as well to make it a bit stronger education-wise. Obviously, you have to have your real estate licenses and things, but it'd be good to have that um, that stronger regulation in the sector, which a lot of the associations are now trying to push for, which will which will only benefit the sector as well and also grow its uh, grow its um, popularity and its uh, people just understanding to why would I spend money on someone to buy a property? Um, we can see it happening now and it's, it's good to be part of that that movement that people are there's a lot of good people out there podcasts like yourself on educating people and allowing us the opportunity to talk about our stories and what we do is uh, also helps mindset is key when it comes to strategy and when it comes to using a buyer's agent as well it's a mindset thing right and also time and if people are truly busy a lot of people say oh, i've got no time but yet they'll spend half their day researching property but what i also find you know, mindset is very important for us on how we talk to our clients and educate them is um, they won't make the move. They will spend so many months and years analyzing, analyzing and paralyzing themselves with the data that they won't actually make the move. And I had a good example of someone last year who, you know, the headlines, what were the headlines last year? 30% property crash. Don't buy property. It's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be, so everyone panicked and said, I'm not going to buy property. So fair enough. And I, no one could, no one knew how bad COVID was going to get. And I accepted that, but a lot of people just said, you know, you guys are crazy, your property's going to crash, sell all your properties, don't, don't hold on to them. And what's happened? It's gone the other way. Now they're believing the headlines saying property's going to go up by 20%, right? So and everyone's an expert, can we believe the, the newspapers? Um, but this particular client came back and said, I'm ready to get that deal. It was actually in the Sunshine Coast, uh, really solid um duplex deal with a really good we work with a lot of boutique uh, developers um you know so you build it for 800 i think it was 820 and a nice big block of land and then you split it and you you take a hundred thousand easy like almost guaranteed hundred thousand off the top once you split it and um then you're still getting very positive cash flow as well so it's a very good strategy um now they came back so ready to go i said okay that's about so now closer to 950 960 well, what do you mean it was only eight months ago i said yep it's gone up $100,000. Just the land has gone up, not the house. Obviously, the house still costs the same to build. So, you know, these things happen and they weren't wrong in their decision-making process, but it's just that, um, you know, where do you get your information from? And sometimes is the Daily Telegraph headline correct or is it better to talk to people in the industry? I'm not saying we're experts, but there's a lot of people you can talk to um, to understand. And, yeah, research is very really important. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like how Warren Buffett says, you know, when the market's turning and I'm paraphrasing here is that, you know, that that's when there's a lot of fear in the market, that's when you want to go in. When there's a lot of greed and things are going up, that's when you want to run as far away as possible. And now now the market's quite hot, right? So, we're, you know, yesterday, Luke, we were just doing due diligence on a deal today, which is off-market deal. Put it out to a client, he said, grab it. And so, we're going through it now, right? Going through the DD on it. And um but you don't get those deals in a hot market. So a, a lot of people say, I'll do it myself, but a real estate agent isn't going to call you because he knows you're not ready to do that. Whereas he can call it, not just us, but other buyers agents who have clients finance ready, ready to buy and sell that property within a couple of days. They're going to take, they're going to take that, um, take that call. Um, 
know, maybe when the, when the market's soft, then that maybe the agent's got plenty of time on their hands and have time to spend all day calling people up and giving you off-market off information. But during these times, you're not no no punter off the street is going to be able to build a relationship that we've built over many, many, many years of working in the sector, you know, over a decade, you're not going to build that lead by just calling up a couple of agents in a, in um, in Kingston, in Brisbane and saying, hey, I'm a, I'm looking to buy a property. Can you tell me you've got an off-market deal? It's very rare they're going to call you. He lets us in on how many properties are currently in his portfolio and the current value they hold. Um, so, we currently have 10 properties including our family home. Um, uh, I actually, actually even... Uh, Added, well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that question, so I'd have to give it up and let me do a quick calculation. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess that's probably in the vicinity in terms of its value of that uh, would be around that $6 million mark of the, the value of those properties. Um, in saying that, a lot of the all but a couple uh, of the investment properties, not my family home, obviously there's, there's a mortgage on that, but are all principal and interest. So, um, sorry, interest only, I should say. Principal interest is the home and one other uh, one other property, but um, they're all interest only and that's for obvious investment reasons why we do it that way. So we are able to have some tax benefits from that as well, particularly now um, with the various sort of properties. Some are highly ge- higher geared and high positive cash flow than others. And um, you know, over a time when I was in the corporate world and I was paying 49% tax, I was able to get my tax rate to under 30%, which was done through some, uh, you know, some smart use of, of property investment. His strategy was initially based around wanting to find an alternative to the typical 9 to 5. You know, you read a lot of books and the classical Robert Kiyosaki books and all these things when you're young. And, you know, I grew up in a family where, as we just discussed right at the outset, the parents had to, came with nothing, had to work hard, high interest rates, bought a property, paid it off, bought a property, paid it off. I mean, will we ever even pay a property off? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. We're, I'm happy, you know, we're, we've got our mortgages under control at home, but um, maybe we won't. But um, so I think it was more about just doing things a little bit different to the way it was, um, using our money wisely. Um, stock, I don't know what it was. Shares didn't just make sense to me. And maybe it goes back to why I didn't study accounting. Maybe my brain is it's not that well aligned to um, understanding the whole share market and algorithms and things like that. So property, it's obviously the tangibility of property, right? We can see it. I can touch it. I can feel it. Even though out of those nine properties I mentioned, uh, sorry, that one in Sydney I've seen, but the others I've never seen. I was driving through Brisbane with Luke uh, a few months back and uh, I drove through Petrie, which got a couple of properties there. And um, I said, oh, we should go. I've got a couple of properties in this suburb. Let's go have a look. And he said, okay. We started turning the car around. He said, what are you going to do there? I'm like, actually nothing. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to knock on the door and say, hey, I'm the landlord. How are you? <laughs> we just turned around and kept going, right? So it's kind of funny. You'd you don't buy them because you want to, uh, you know, do the garden and, and, and mow the lawns for it. It's just, uh, it's you know, there's there's some good out of property investing. Obviously, people get to who can't afford to buy get to rent and get roofs over their heads. That's obviously an important factor why governments still stimulate this sector. Um, from a personal perspective, obviously, there is that leverage and that time in the market. So if you invest, and yes, we do go some ups and downs, and there were that eight year period that everyone forgets about conveniently. Where Sydney didn't move, uh, Melbourne didn't move, and Brisbane didn't move, and you know they haven't all done it. Luckily, at the same time, and that's why we want to diversify and have have uh, properties in different states and different cities and different areas, and not just buy next door because you know that's where I grew up and I want to buy next door to mum and dad. Um, 
we buy um, based on what we think and feel through research is a good long-term strategy. So if someone comes to us and want to retire in five years, it's a very different mindset strategy to someone who's, who's uh, the current, current client I've got who is um, in their 30s, you know, professional, working for a firm. They can afford to go hard now and, and, get, and then watch it grow over that 20-year period because they're not retiring anytime soon. So, um, so I guess that's what the outlet set was to build a bit of a portfolio, build. And I think the word I use, probably, you know, when you're young, people try to spruker you and talk about retire. Don't you want to retire at 45? Don't you retire at 50? And maybe when you're 25 or 30, you probably think, yeah, that'd be great. But I don't. I want to work forever. Like I love working. I love talking to people and helping people build a portfolio. So I'd love to keep working. So I don't have that mindset isn't in my mind or even my wife. She she works in a corporate firm, but she wants to work, you know, till she's 70 if she can, she said. So um, it was more about the word. I think it's one word for us is options. So give us options in life. And that option could be if we wanted to, once the kids are done and dusted with school and maybe uni, I, I guess we won't get rid of them that soon <laughs> these days. Live with us for a while longer, especially when they get their breakfast made for them every morning. Um, so yeah, you know, we give the options to travel. It could be an option to help our children if we if we can and decide to do that. It could be the option to, um, you know, from a charitable perspective as well. What options can we have there that help our community or other communities that we're involved in? Yeah, I'm the same. I I can't see myself retiring at all. I mean, I like the idea of having that. You know, I like to be able to, you know, maybe take off 12 months or something like that and take my kids traveling around the world, let them experience different cultures, do so many wonderful things. But having that option to not worry about the finances and how we support ourselves to do those kind of things, that's what I love. Yeah, I think we have got to look after our health and our mind and, and keep that healthy as well and then we can take make take advantage of those options right and uh, like you said yeah i love hiking and walking and you know i always would have i've done a few trips to nepal over the years as a younger guy but i'd love to do something like my wife and walk through the wine fields of france or italy and spain and do all these type of things so that'd be pretty fun so yeah right now it's uh working hard within balance obviously still ensuring we look after our health and um our minds and our bodies and our families and then um when the time's right we can you know we're still lucky enough to have holidays and, and um spend some good quality time with the children and and our friends, which is important. While he doesn't necessarily have any mentors, Chris Sagara took a different, more DIY style approach to his personal development. I didn't have any official mentors and I know that there are quite a few out there now which are coming through, which is quite good. In fact, Lou's doing quite a bit of mentoring to young people as well, as I mentioned. Um, I guess mine was more education, just immersing myself in the sector and, you know, the, the classical seminars, um, reading books. My wife was always, particularly back in the day when podcasts started coming out, I was always had my earphones in my ears like yourself and uh, walk around the house if I'm lawn mowing or gardening or cleaning the pool or doing whatever, exercising, I was always listening to property podcasts. And, and back then there was only a few. Now there's, I don't know, it must be 50 or 60 good ones to listen to. So yeah, I was just that was probably my education. Just and then books, you know, I've got a bookshelf here full of uh, property books and just reading, reading, reading. With the long term view, I always, I always knew or felt deep, deep down that it was going to be my future. Um, I just didn't know when, right? Because we get a little bit, uh, let's face it, that golden handcuffs of the corporate world um, locks us in for a little while, and then you know, through certain circumstances, uh, for me, it was a redundancy package through a company that um, I was working for an American company and. Uh, we uh, sold the business um, in the US, so we then had to, you know, uh, 
make some changes to the business in Australia and had to, you know, unfortunately have to let go of some people. And then once you do that and restructure the business, um, they kind of look at you and say, oh, thanks for that. <laughs> we might have run out of room for you at the top. So, uh, and these things happen and it's, it's happened a couple of times to me now. And, you know, um, and I see it happening to friends now as well. You're know, getting into your late forties and some friends into their fifties and um, it's, it happens. And it's a much harder to get those senior roles when you're at that age group. So in your thirties, you're bulletproof. You can never almost lose a job in your thirties. Um, um, so yeah, I guess I started thinking about what is the next step? Am I going to be in the corporate world the rest of my life? And, you know, I guess I've always been entrepreneurial. I've worked for entrepreneurial companies. I've never worked for the big, the big, huge corporations. I've always been entrepreneurial sort of companies. Um, even when they were big, I worked for companies in, in America and Switzerland that where I set up the business for them in Australia. So I like building things. So it always made sense to me I was going to do something. And I've tried a few different things and I tried to build a, a digital app business as well. Um, so I always knew that was going to be, you know, property was going to be my thing. And it kind of made sense from the, the data side of marketing that I always understood um, research and data and um, then, you know, I guess selling techniques and how to, how to talk to people. But I think a lot of it is just about um, the ethics and the integrity of the business. So if you say you met yourself 10 years ago, what would you have said to him? So probably don't get ahead of yourself. So 10 years ago, I was living in India. As I mentioned, we were doing really well and probably the bright lights maybe got into my eyes a bit. My wife would probably say the same thing. So I think I would say to myself back then, just don't get ahead of yourself. Remember the, you know, the grounding of your life and the, the lessons you've learned through your family and your, and the people you, you, you know, hang out with, as we say, whether some of the people we are, the five people we are closest to, and just remember those things. And I mentioned that India was a changing, um, had a big change for my mindset in life. And because, you know, we, we did luckily pick up that lesson there to say, uh, you know, we're very lucky to see what we have in this country. And, uh, you know, I'm in a country where there are people sitting, uh, living on the street downstairs of the big, you know, apartment block that I live in. And they're the happiest people I see every single day. And a lot of people who are earning lots of money and living in these big jobs that we had were quite stressed and miserable. And, um, so I guess that was a real turning point. So I think that's what I would say, just uh, take a deep breath, be grounded and be grateful. Mm. Where do you see yourself and I guess your family and, and what you're currently doing in the next, say, five years? You know, my girls will be in five years' time. Nine, two, it would finish high school by then, both of them. Uh, so that would be great because they're in private school. So <laughs> that will help our bank balance a little bit. Um, I'd see them, you know, potentially being at university or doing something like that probably living with us, hopefully living with us, even though sometimes we love them to, <laughs> to be elsewhere. Um, and I think I think probably doing the similar things in terms of loving our jobs, both my wife and I love what we do. Um, you know, I'd hope in five years' time our business would be in, a, in, a, in, a, in another phase of where it is at the moment, where we could probably give back a little bit more, um, employ some people to, you know, build their careers. Um, the main thing is to stay fit and healthy. Uh, you know, it's something we really work hard on as a family. And uh, um, But it's not just your body, it's your mind as well. So uh, Luke and I both volunteer at Lifeline at the, at the Crisis Suicide Law Call Centre. Um, so we obviously are trained um, on how to talk to people through through that process. So I think it's important for us to um, you know, look, at, look at that as well. Let's um, probably see myself, you know, doing maybe some more hours there as well. Um, 
um, as well as what we're, what we're currently doing in our business and in our family. So Julian, you've achieved a lot of great success out of your whole journey and I'm really, really you know, appreciate that you shared such a great journey. How much of that has been due to success, your, your success due to your intelligence, hard work and skill and how much of it do you think is because of luck? I'm a big believer in you make your own luck and uh, I think you have to put in the hard yards. Oh, intelligent, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm overly intelligent, you know, on, in a classical sense, but, uh, you know, I think I'm pretty learned. I think I read a lot. I, I say to people I have a lot of common sense and sometimes that's not all that common and I've noticed that in the, um, in the corporate world, um, particularly where sometimes common sense wasn't all that common in uh, some of the highly... Uh, um, you know, higher when I started going sort of into higher, higher positions and uh, sort of senior executive and management roles. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is hard work and perseverance, uh, getting up and you get knocked down and not, um, you know, crying over spilt milk, so to speak. Unfortunately, we sometimes have to dust ourselves off and maybe hide in a corner for a day or two, but um, you realize that um, you've just got to, you just got to keep going and keep strong. Um, and if you keep putting in and, and keep doing the right things and holding on to your integrity and doing the right things. I mean, I've been around a lot of, and I've seen a lot of um, unethical behaviours in business um, and I kind of just tried to focus on what I, what I, I guess the morals that I was brought up with and uh, what I like to, to live in life. And um, I think eventually you start to get repaid. And sometimes, yeah, I, I, there are some people out there I know very much they're doing some really bad things in the property sector potentially particularly um and they're still growing bigger and bigger and bigger and you know you can worry about them and get jealous and why are they driving uh fancy cars and living on the water in five million dollar homes or you can just focus on what you can do and control the controller which is what i do and what i do for my clients community and in our business you know and ensuring that our um our value systems in our business align with our personal values as well great um, I guess how much of it do you think it was because of luck though? I'll have to say there is a lot of luck because sometimes how do you get into that certain, how does that come to you? How does that person come to you into your life out of nowhere? How do you bump next to someone on a plane? It just happened to me and next thing you have a chat and, and that happened. Is that luck? Yeah, I guess that's luck. Is it coincidence? Is it, uh, you know, is it, was it always meant to happen? Was it always the path you were meant to go down? You know, I, I love uh, a book called The Alchemist, uh, a Spanish author. I don't know if you've read that one, Paulo Coelho. Um, yeah, there's a lot about a lot about that, right? Whether you get what you're destined for, and whether you can create your own destiny, whether it just it happens. And um, so I'm a big believer. I guess as I've got older as well, sometimes it comes by experience. I probably use the the word luck a lot more and think, oh, that person's lucky. They're really lucky they got that. They're lucky they got that job. But I guess um, I believe if you you know put in the hard work, um, luck will come your way as well. Thank you to Julian Kusagara, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 
ADA 1040。